0: I don't know what your Christmas traditions include, but in in my home, our Christmas traditions include stories. This year, my wife picked up 25 Christmas stories from the library and she, she wrapped them up like presents. And beginning on December 1st, my kids would open up one story a day and my wife would read the story to them. It's been fun for the kids to hear stories like the night before Christmas by Clement C. Moore and The Polar Express by Chris Van Allsburg. My kids, they love stories. In fact, everyone loves stories. Stories, they, they resonate with us because we can see something of ourselves and our own life experience in them. Stories grip us and they, they hold out hope to us. It's been said that if you, if you want someone to know the truth, you should tell them. But if you want someone to love the truth, you should tell them a story. That's what God has given to us in the Bible. And and I hope that you've been getting a sense of that through the scripture readings we've been hearing tonight. We we started nearly the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the story. And we've been working our way toward the end. And I hope that you've been seeing something of the main storyline of the Bible through the readings. You know, contrary to, to popular belief, the Bible is not a book filled with random, disconnected stories. No, it is a book of, of stories and poetry and prophecy and wisdom literature which all tell one grand story. The story of the Bible is about the one true and living God rescuing and delivering fallen and sinful men from eternal death and hell By sending his one and only most beloved son from heaven to earth. The story of the Bible is a royal story because it is a story about a king and his kingdom. Now, like every other story ever told, the story of the Bible calls for a response from us as readers and hearers. Our response to the Bible's story is at the same time a response to the central figure of the Bible. King Jesus. In our fifth lesson and scripture reading tonight, we see varying responses to the arrival of King Jesus. In particular, Matthew contrasts King Herod's response to that of the wise men's response to Jesus' arrival. Through these responses, we're confronted with our own need to respond to this story and this king presented to us in this story. And as we read about the arrival of the king, we ought to ask ourselves, is my response more like Herod's or the wise men's? Please listen as I read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And you can find the passage on page 807 of the Bibles provided. Page 807 of the Bibles provided. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, let's just take a few moments now to reflect on the story that's unfolding here. And and here, I just want us to reflect on on three things from this passage. Herod's response, the wise men's response, and our response. First, let's think about Herod's response. Notice there in verses 1 and 2 that it was because Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, that the wise men came from the East to Jerusalem. These wise men, the Magi, as they've often been called, are hard to identify. We know that they were from the East, perhaps Babylon, uh, that they were wealthy, and that they were interested in astrology. Ancient Christians used to identify them actually as kings. That's why Christians have often sung the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, at this time of year. Ancient Christians thought that the Magi were kings because of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. There Isaiah said, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The importance of the role of the wise men in Matthew's nativity story is seen in their question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now notice the nature of that question. It assumes that Jesus was king from birth. Reflecting on this truth, the great 19th century London preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, A very singular thing this is that Jesus Christ was said to have been born a king. Very few have ever been born king. Men are born princes, but they are seldom born kings. The moment that he came on earth he was a king, his heart beat royally, and his pulse beat an imperial measure, and his blood flowed in a kingly current. He... Was born a king. Indeed he was, for he was the king of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we learn that all things were created through Jesus. In other words, before the second person of the triune Godhead took on flesh and came into the world, he created the world. He created the world that he would enter. This baby is the king of creation. Now, notice again in verse 2 that the wise men said that they saw his star. And how appropriate that the one who hung the stars in the heavens would have a star at his birth. And, and this is just as the Old Testament book of Numbers predicted. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, we read, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. When these men confess, these wise men, when they confess that they have come to worship him, we see that they truly are wise. But this this troubles Herod, for he is king. And he wants to remain king. He will not let his throne be threatened, and he will not let his worship be stolen by so young a lad. According to verse 4, Herod, determined to get to the bottom of this troubling news, called in those who will be able to answer his question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Matthew, once again, turns to the prophets to prove that Jesus was the Messiah and the long-awaited promised king. This time he turns to the prophet Micah, and in particular, to the passage that Paula read from earlier in the service. Micah, as you know, predicted that Messiah would come from Bethlehem of Judea. Here again, an ancient prophecy gives us insight into what Jesus' role will be. Notice, he will be a ruler who will shepherd God's flock. But Herod is the ruler. He is the king. How can this baby be the ruler of Israel when Herod is the ruler of Israel? Herod, he he sends the wise men away. He sends them on a mission to find this one who has been born king of the Jews. And he says that he wants to worship this king like the wise men planned to. But we know from Herod's troubling response in verse 3, and Herod's even more troubling actions later on in Matthew chapter 2, that he has ulterior motives. If you were to allow your eyes to scan down Matthew chapter 2, then you'd see that when the wise men do not return a report to Herod on where Jesus had been born, Herod actually sought to put all the baby boys in that region to death. Herod's response to the news of King Jesus' arrival is one of hatred, violence, and rejection of this newborn king the wise men though they have a different response which is the second thing that i want us to consider the wise men's response now look in verse 10 in verse 10 we see that the mere discovery of this king's star leads these wise men to rejoice exceedingly with great joy perhaps these wise men would become shepherd become sheep of this great shepherd and ruler some have disputed whether or not this, these wise men really worship Jesus in faith, believing that he was the Messiah and Savior. Well, it's certainly hard to say that they don't. Take a look at verse 11 again. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, these, these wise men, they rejoice to see the star, but they worship the child. Over and over again in the Bible, we're told that worship belongs always and only to God. Yet here is Matthew approvingly saying that they fell down before him and worshiped Jesus. And do you know why? They, they fell down before him because he really is the king of creation. They worship Jesus because he really is God. Jesus is both fully man and fully God, and he is therefore worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship because of who he is and because of what he would do. What is most striking to me is that Matthew casts these Gentile men in the most appropriate posture for his predominantly Jewish readers. These wise men, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, worship Jesus. Which is exactly what all Jews and Gentiles should do. It is what everyone from every tongue and every tribe and every nation should do. And these wise men, they also give Jesus their treasures. They gave Him their worship and their wealth. They gave Him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we all know what gold is. Frankincense is very expensive. It's a rare incense. Myrrh is a costly spice or a perfume. These wise men, they they recognize Jesus' royalty, and so they treat him like royalty. They honor him with gifts fit for a king. These wise men give Jesus his due. And their response to the news of Jesus' arrival calls us to reflect on our own response To the news of Jesus' arrival. Which is the final point. That I want us to briefly consider. from Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 to 12. Friends what what is your response. To the news of Jesus' arrival. The, The responses of Herod. And the wise men. Show us that there are essentially. Two responses to King Jesus. We either reject his rule. Or we recognize. His right to reign. In our lives what about you? You know, Christmas is the season for giving. Have you given your life to the loving rule of Jesus Christ? The story of Christmas, friends, is a story of salvation and submission to Christ the King. I wonder if you find that odd. I mean, it's probably not what you imagine yourself to be thinking about tomorrow morning on Christmas, But this is exactly what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus coming to earth in order to save his people from their sins. The story of Christmas is a story of salvation. Do you know that you need to be saved? Have you thought about that before? You need to be saved. We we all need to be saved. But saved from what? From our sins. You see, we were all created by God. We were created to love Him and serve Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is the King of creation. He's the one who made the universe and all that's in it. He made you and He made me. And as the author of our lives, He has the right to exercise His good authority over them. But instead of loving and serving Him, We've decided to love and serve ourselves, to be our own rulers. We live our own way rather than His. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is fundamentally rebellion against God and rejection of His rule. It's what Adam and Eve first did in the garden when they disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit. And it's what every human being has done ever since. Sin is... And rebellion against God is why the world has been ruined by death and depravity and disease and decay. And do you want to know why everything is not right in the world? It is because of sin and rebellion against God. It is why Jesus came to rule and reign as king. It is why the wise men rejoiced at his coming. Because we have all sinned against God. And because he is holy and just, he must punish our sins. And we stand in danger of facing his just and eternal wrath forever in hell. We need to be saved from our sins and the punishment that they deserve. Friends, do you see why the story of Christmas is a story of salvation? The story of Christmas is a story of salvation because God sent Jesus, from heaven to earth, to live the life that we could not live, the life that we have not lived. Jesus didn't rebel against God the Father. He didn't determine to live a life that only made Him happy. He didn't sin like we do. He lived a perfect and sinless life before God. The Bible says that Jesus knew no sin, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And Jesus... He is able to save His people from their sins because He lived a sinless life before God and because He died on the cross, taking upon Himself the sins and the punishment for the sins of all of those who would have returned from their sins and believe in Him. You see, Jesus was born to die, but He was also born to rise for three days after His death on the cross god raised jesus from the dead vindicating him and proving to us all that his gift of the gift of his life and death on behalf of repenting sinners is acceptable in god's sight his resurrection proves that he can push back the tide of death and disease and decay jesus conquered sin and death and he now reigns in heaven as the anointed king he calls us to come to him and to worship him. He calls upon us to turn from our sins, to submit our lives to him, to turn from living for ourselves and to living for God. And friend, if you're here this evening and you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want you to know that embracing Jesus Christ in faith is precisely how you should respond to this wonderful story of salvation. To the announcement of Christ's arrival. And if you want to think about more about what it means that Jesus came to save his people from their sins, then please talk with a friend or family member that you came with here tonight. I'll be at the door after the service. I'd love to talk with you about this good news, but what it means that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners like you and me. Well, we should conclude. When you you walk out those doors tonight. And look up the stars, if the Lord has been pleased to clear the clouds. If you look up at those stars, remember the star that the wise men saw. Remember how it caused them to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And remember why. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because the King of kings had come. They rejoiced because the Lord of heaven had come to earth he came to give the greatest gift this world has ever known, his life for sinners like you and me, and I pray that we would all respond to this good news with great joy. Let's pray together.